Okay, so back to Centered. Centered, this has uh, been our Galatians study. We've been in it pretty much all first semester, um, now a little bit of the new year. And what we've been learning is that Paul is challenging us to reconsider wh- what we center our lives on, right? Like, what is our guiding force, our compass point, our direction? I mean, he's continued to come back to the good news of Jesus Christ. So the word is the gospel, right? Which means the good news of Jesus, that God is for us in Christ. We're sinners, we've wandered, we've done our own thing, and Jesus has come after us. He loves us, he's died in our place so that we could be forgiven for our sins, and he gives us his righteousness. It's this deal that's too good to not be true. And one of the words as we've moved through Galatians that we've seen more and more is spirit. And Paul is again and again equating the spirit with the gospel. To depend on the spirit instead of depending on my flesh is to trust the good news of Jesus. It's, it's the same thing. It's trusting God and not trusting me. And so Paul uses this language more and more of the spiritual life, trusting the spirit, being led by the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit. So this week as he transitions to this idea of sowing and reaping, planting, investing, uh, we're going to call it uh, in chapter 6, spirit-centered investments. Spirit-centered investments. He's using farming, farming analogy. I'm using more of the term, of, more of a broad term of what are you investing in. We think more sometimes money in that sense. Um, what are we pouring our energy into hoping to get something out of it, right? Uh, so spirit-centered investments. Let's read together. We're going to be in chapter 6. Uh, if I didn't tell you already, if you're in the Black Bibles, it's page 975. Page 975 in those black Bibles under the chairs. It's Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. So he says, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let me pray for us, and we'll uh, try to pick this apart a little bit more. God, uh, teach us tonight. We ask for your Spirit to meet us here. You'd help us move beyond our own flesh, our own selves, and to see what you're doing in the world. We pray that we would be receptive to you. We pray that you would open our our minds and our hearts, open our uh, ability to hear your voice, and we pray that we'd be shaped by it, that you would transform us, that you would send us out, that we would do good, and that we'd reap a harvest. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in uh, 1950, a mailman in Waco, Texas, planted a couple of pecan trees. Uh, I knew this mailman. He was my father-in-law's father. So my father-in-law was eight, his dad, middle-aged. They lived in a small, simple house in Waco, Texas. And his dad, this mailman, was able to feed his family. They had a good life, but he had a long-term vision of pecans, of some pecans, some fruit coming from these trees, some, some benefits for his family and for his friends. And so my uh, father-in-law can still remember as a little kid helping him do this. Uh, they planted these trees. They had these little saplings. He can remember watching his father graft the paper shell pecan limbs into the hardy, uh, tougher, native Texas pecan trunk and root system. And then watched his dad just continue to invest in those pecans, watering them, 
protecting them, staking them as their young saplings growing up. Um, my father-in-law had a brother, so I'm sure their dad had to protect the pecan trees from the rambunctious boys playing in the yard as well, you know, beat them back so they didn't run it over. I remember when I was a kid, I always got in trouble for tearing up plants and trees and stuff. So, so protecting them, investing in them, watering them, pouring his time, investing in these pecan trees, and he got to bear the fruit of that, right? He got to reap a harvest from that because those pecan trees began producing pecans. They began making pecans that people could enjoy, could eat, and uh, could have fun with, right? He would uh, actually got to the point, by the time when he retired, years later, right? You know, like say 20 years later from when he planted the trees in 1950, he's producing so many pecans, he would sell the bags at a friend's office and he made enough money to pay the taxes on his house when he was retired every year just selling the pecans. We still eat pecans from those trees. We still enjoy his pecan pie recipe um, with his pecans. It's, it's a really incredible thing. And that was 65 years ago when he planted those pecan trees. 65 years ago. Do, do any of you have a vision for things that will bear fruit 65 years from now? I know I don't. I mean, I try to, Right? I, I try to think about a legacy of investing in people's lives and in those people investing in other people's lives. I try to think of a long-term vision, but um, we seldom have that kind of vision, right? We tend to think, I want to plant something and I want to reap the harvest next week. I know we garden and I get all kinds of frustrated because it doesn't grow something in a month, right? Or in two months even. Uh, well, typically for us, it doesn't grow anything ever. But, but you know, you want immediate results. We're, we're very driven like that. And Paul is saying, don't be mocked. Whatever man sows, that also he will reap. And he says, don't give up because you will reap. You will reap. And oftentimes we give up way too quickly. We say, it's not worth it. It's not going to happen. Well, the, f- the first thing that I want us to focus on is the, f- the place where Paul starts here. He starts in verse 6 with leaders, teachers. And he calls us to invest in spiritual teachers. Invest in spiritual teachers. And I want to remind you of the context again. We always want to study the Bible in context. In the whole book of Galatians, Paul is pushing back against false teachers. And now he says, share what you have with the good teachers. Share what you have with the teachers. Invest in these good things. And he's connecting it to this whole matrix of planting and sowing and reaping and investing. So he's saying, don't listen to those false teachers, but but share and, and prop up and invest in the good teachers that are teaching this gospel, this good news of Jesus, the spiritual life. He had just talked in the last section, the section before that, about how we should not trust our flesh, but we should trust the Spirit. We should depend on the Spirit. We should be Spirit-led people. And Paul is saying there are these other teachers that are appealing to your flesh, but he has been appealing to the Spirit. He's been saying Jesus is the answer, not these outward marks of religion, and not the following your own indulgences, your own, uh, your own impulses, but following Jesus, following the Spirit. There's life there. He says it this way in verse 6. Let the one, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. It's interesting. It's a different translation. Have you all noticed that? Does your Bible say that different? I just noticed it. I've preached it. This is my third time to preach it. There's like one word difference. Okay, sorry. They're both ESV. They're like different year versions here. They modified it. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one 
who teaches. So um, this is a favorite verse of a lot of teachers. I'll just, have, I'll just be honest with you, okay? Right? This is like, you have to share things with me because I'm a teacher. Um, but again, I want to remind you of the context. The context here, there are good teachers and there are bad teachers. And Paul has been saying throughout the book, don't share with the bad teachers. Shut out the bad teachers. Don't listen to the bad teachers. He said at one point in chapter 5, I wish they would emasculate themselves. I mean, he is, he's cussing out the bad teachers. And then he's saying, but share with the good teachers. Share with the good teachers. And there is a difference. Um, a, a lot of teachers really hone in on this as a way for them to puff up their own flesh, right? This becomes a hobby horse verse. And there's a lot of other verses in the, in the scriptures that would affirm that we should uh, pay our teachers or we should encourage our teachers or whatever, right? It's, it's a kind of a simple principle, uh, but we don't want to get too sidetracked thinking about money. This is, this is, I think, where most people really focus is it's all about money. And so we have all kinds of teachers, all kinds of preachers, especially the ones you'll see on the TV because you get more money if you're on the TV, right? But um, people that are preaching the message of give money to me, feed my flesh, and then God will have to, he's bound contractually because of these covenants and stuff in scripture, then God will have to bless your flesh. Uh, and, and they're taking a general principle that's true, right? We're supposed to give. We're supposed to be giving people. So it's always been that way. New covenant and old covenant, we're supposed to give. Uh, we're supposed to pay our teachers. It's always been that way. But he turns that into a flesh principle, and he rips it out of the context of the gospel. That, that's what the preachers are doing these days, right? So they're luring you with your flesh, They're taking the general biblical idea of you should support teachers, you should give to the church, you should give to this and that, but they're turning it into a flesh principle. They're luring you with your flesh will be rewarded if you reward my flesh, and they're just puffing themselves up. And I think uh, that's not what Paul is saying with this verse. Paul is saying, share good things with the teachers that share more with you about Jesus. Help encourage and invest in that kind of ministry. Invest in spiritual leaders. I want to break down the meanings of the words here. Uh, There's the word, the one who is taught and the one who teaches, right? So those are kind of two nouns. There's like the the teacher and the uh, teach-e, right? Uh, Those words in the Greek are are from the word catechize. Have you ever heard that? A catechism? Anybody ever heard that word before? That's an ancient word. If you come from a Christian tradition, a catechism is basically a systematic way to teach someone, right? So it's like a way to teach doctrine. Um, And it comes from this Greek word, uh, catechumen, catech catechism, catechizo, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to do it in Greek. Um, But it's basically a more systematic word for teaching, right? So there's a simple word for teaching in Greek, and then there's this more systematic word that's kind of slightly more formal. Um, So it indicates something that we would think of in the category of discipleship, of someone who's really signed up to be taught, not just someone who's kind of just blabbing stuff, lecturing. You know, we tend to think in our culture of, of teaching as I'm just saying stuff, right? Um, but really biblical, the idea of teaching is more biblically like you're learning, you're invested, you're a disciple, right? The disciples followed Jesus around and bound themselves to him. And that's really more of the sense here. Um, so it's saying if, you're, if you want to be a disciple and you're following Jesus and you're following this person as they're leading you to follow Jesus, then invest in what they're doing. Prop that up so that other people can learn so that they can invest in you with the gospel, with spiritual things. Again, not fleshly things. The other interesting thing is the word share is the word, uh, it's the koinonia word, if you've ever heard that before. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And I've taught you all this before, but we usually 
if you grew up in a church, we usually think fellowship means a meal, right? Which is a great part of fellowship, but it's not all fellowship is, right? Like fellowship is not just ice cream. It's not just fried chicken. It's not uh, just guacamole. But if you're going to fellowship with me, that's one of my favorite parts. Um, but it's more than that. It's, it's, a, it's a partnership. It's a locking of arms. It was often used as a business term. And so think of it this way. The idea is that there are going to be people that are sowing spiritual seeds that are trying to multiply the gospel. And Paul's saying, invest in those kinds of people. He said all throughout the book, don't invest in the false teachers, but invest in these people that are trying to spread the gospel, the true good news of who the Spirit is and how God can change you, even though you can't change yourself. You can't trust your flesh, but you can trust the Spirit. He's saying invest in those people, partner with those people, koinonia with those people, like a business partnership. You're locking arms with these kinds of leaders, spiritual leaders. Share every good thing with them. That would include money, but it would also include your talents, right? We've talked about this, how the New Testament paints the picture of the body of Christ being uh, a body with different parts, right? Like if I'm the thumb, then you need to be the finger and the wrist and the hand, and, and we work together accomplishing the mission of God, being, being who God's called us to be. And so that's what Paul's teaching again here. Partner with these people that are actually good teachers, that are actually teaching the truth. I think it's really important for you, especially those of you that God's going to move to some other place, that you develop discernment and and you don't just go attach yourself to a church or a ministry based on the coffee bar alone, right? Um, And coffee is great. I just had a cup right before I came up here, right? um, But that's not the only reason to pick a church, right? Coffee is great, but you want to pick a church and a ministry that is teaching us to trust Jesus and not trust ourselves. That's the bottom line. A church that's teaching from the scriptures who Jesus is and lifting him up as the hero of every story rather than attracting your flesh, right? So what the health and wealth teachers do is they say, um, here's this general principle of giving, right? And they say, if you give, God has to bless you and you're going to get richer and richer and see how they're, they're luring you in by the flesh there instead of Instead of teaching you more and more to trust God, they're teaching you more and more to be attracted to wealth here and now. And I want to say, again, there is a general principle of when you give, things go well with you. And that's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But don't give because your flesh has been lured into it. Don't give because you think you're going to get rich. Give because your heart is bursting because Jesus has given to you. That's why you should give. If, if that's not happening in your heart, And I would say reconsider, reconsider. So application-wise, man, simple application is, yeah, give give to teachers that are teaching the gospel. I would say, yeah, that's part of it. And I I would appreciate your gifts to this church because I'm paid a salary. I I can feed my family because this church pays me a salary to to teach you the gospel. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate you giving to this church. I'd also say, though, beyond that, give, give to other ministries that propagate the gospel. We talk all the time about global outreach. Our church sets aside 10% for global outreach. We want to make sure that we're not just kind of obsessed with building our own empire, but we're trying to push money out to other ministries as well, have an outward face. Um, So 10% goes to global outreach, and then we raise money for Guatemala on top of that. Um, So sometimes we're pushing 20% some years, kind of depending on how the fundraising goes for Guatemala. Um, so, So give to other things like that as well. Again, teachers that are teaching the gospel, not people relying on their flesh, but the good news of trusting in the Spirit. I'd also say encourage your mentors. A lot of you have teachers that are not 
official teachers, right? They might not be on staff. They might not be paid teachers. You might have a small group leader or maybe a Sunday school teacher that encouraged you greatly 10 years ago in some other city and you haven't seen them in 10 years. I would say find them and write them a note and send them a gift and tell them thank you for investing spiritual seeds in your life. I think that's huge. Uh, I had a pastor about 10 or 12 years ago that challenged us to do that and I I found this guy that helped lead me to Christ. And the guy really didn't know me that well. He was just someone that gave his testimony publicly um, and that had a powerful impact on me. He was uh, paralyzed and it was at this Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp. It just had a huge impact on my life. And I got to shake the guy's hand, but you know, I never really told him, hey, by the way, I became a Christian thanks to your impact. You know, So years later, like 10 years later, I got to contact him. I got to call him, sent him a note, told him thank you. And then a few years after that, he died in a car wreck. Um, and that probably kind of sounds like emotional manipulation here, <laughs> but it's a reality that time is short, right? If I don't say it to twist you, I say it just to be realistic. Time is running out. We, we only have so many days on this earth. Find those people and encourage them. Tell them to keep on going and not to give up doing good and encourage those spiritual leaders. I just want to encourage you to have that impact. I would say, you know, I said one of the applications is giving to the church. I'm encouraging spiritual leaders. I would say I'm thankful this church does that well. Uh, You people do that well for me. So really my heart is that you would find those other leaders that maybe get forgotten and encourage encourage those leaders. Um, The last thing I want to say on this point before we move on is uh, don't reject your own call to teach. God may be calling you to be this kind of teacher. And I want you to seriously consider that. 1 Timothy 3 says that if you aspire to be a leader in the church, that is a beautiful thing. Uh, Most English translations say noble thing, because I guess it doesn't sound manly enough to say beautiful. But in the original Greek, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing if you long to be a leader in God's church. So I want to encourage you, that's a beautiful thing, that's a good thing, and and you should fan that into flame. Um, I'd love to talk to you more about that if you want to teach others. We want to come alongside you and help you develop those gifts. I'd also say some of you may think, I definitely don't want to teach. I want to stay as far away from that as possible. And I want to challenge you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have, a, you have like a bottom line teaching requirement that all followers of Christ have. And it's in 1 Peter 3. Let me read it to you. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, In your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. And then he said, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So he says, all of you, at least be ready to say why you have this crazy hope in a world of of death and zombies, right? Like, the world is falling apart. Why do you have hope? You're crazy. You have to have a reason. You have have to be able to defend that. That's kind of like the bottom rung of teaching for every Christian. You have to be able to explain that. And I'm going to go ahead and cheat for you here. Here's the answer. It's Jesus, okay? That's the answer. The hope is Jesus. Because you know what? Yeah, this world is hard. And it's a world of disease. And it's a world of pain and abuse. And I've been hurt and my friends have been hurt. But there's a story of this God that loves us so much that he came after us. He sent Jesus to die in our place and to live in our place, to rise from the dead, to conquer sin and death for us. That's my answer. And again, if you're not called as a teacher, you're not going to want to say anything more than that anyway, right? So just two sentences. Keep it to two sentences, but Jesus for you. That's, that's your answer, and we all want to have that at least bottom rung of, of teaching and being a spiritual leader in that sense. The, the next thing that Paul hits on is that we want to invest in a spiritual self. And what I mean by a spiritual self is, is kind of thinking in context of almost like New Year's resolution, right? We're a little past that time of the year, 
But we all kind of, at some point, evaluate ourselves and say, is this who I want to be? And so I would just ask you that. Is this who you want to be? And, and Paul challenges us to invest in a spiritual self, that we would um, be a new self and invest and sow spiritual things in our life instead of just our flesh. He says it this way in verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So that's really kind of the overarching principle for this whole thing we're looking at tonight. Don't be deceived. God, God won't be mocked. Whatever someone sows, that also he will reap. The way I would say it is you can't cheat the system. I wish I could cheat the system. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a think outside the box and like, you know, people tell me, well, this is the way it works. And I always think, well, does it have to work that way? You know, like that's kind of how I think. I always want to break the rules. Um, and there's just some things in life, there's no shortcut. There's just no shortcut. And he's saying you can't, you can't cheat the system. If you're going to invest in your flesh, you're going to reap flesh. But if you invest in spiritual things, you'll reap spiritual things. He goes on in verse 8 and says it this way. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. That's what flesh does. Like We're all dying from the minute we're born. We're, we're corroding. So he says, from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So we can sow into spiritual things or we can just keep redoubling our efforts and, and sowing into our flesh. And what we've seen again and again throughout Galatians is there's two different ways that we do this, right? The one like obvious way that we sow to the flesh is by following our impulses and desires, God tells us, don't do that, and we're like, forget you, it feels good, I'm doing it. And we run as, as hard and as fast as we can in the other direction, and we do whatever feels good. And that's just kind of more common, you know, common rebellious paganism, whatever you want to call that, just wild living, disobedience, following your impulses, following your desires, finding your identity in what feels good in the moment instead of finding your identity in what God says about you. But Paul has warned us again and again that not only is that a way of sowing to the flesh that will reap corruption? But religious legalism is another way of sowing to the flesh that will reap corruption. Religious legalism is saying, my identity is found in these external boundary markers. I keep this rule, I follow this culture, I do these things. And by looking this way, I uh, will impress other people. And by looking this way and achieving these things, God has to bless me because I've earned it. Instead of saying... In the gospel, no, God has blessed me in Jesus, so I, so I want to live differently. And so again and again, we just have to say, watch out, don't, don't sow into the flesh. Don't create a self built on a, a fleshly facade, but have an identity based on what God has done for you, a, a spiritual self. Um, I have a picture here. This has happened to me again and again. Can someone tell me what that is? Anybody recognize the picture? Corroded battery cable, yes. Every car I've ever owned, at one point, it wouldn't turn on. And I open the hood and I see this, right? So one of y'all that know about these things can tell me how to keep this from happening. Because it happens all the time. When things corrode, they don't work right. The, the electricity is not shooting through that properly when it's corroding and coming apart. Um, it, it's, it's corruption. That's what happens in our own life. That's what our flesh is doing. Our, our flesh is dying. And so when God tells us not to engage in sexual immorality or when God tells us not to take shortcuts at work or when God tells us 
uh, don't look at that, but, but stay focused on this. Whatever it is, whatever limits we feel like the Ten Commandments have put on our life. When God says, this is the way I want you to live, he's not doing that because he hates us. He's doing that because he loves us. He loves us. And, and when we depart off of that trail, it's, it's feeding our flesh and causing corruption. And those things might feel great for a minute, but it's not, it's not the long-term investment that we should be making. It's, it's reaping corruption, as it says. I, I would just, uh, I'd just ask you to consider stopping where you are and, and reconsidering. A lot of times it's just as simple as, as just asking a friend for help, saying, hey, will you pray for me? Because I'm off the trail, you know? I've veered off the path here, and I know this is, I'm going to reap corruption, I'm going to reap problems because of this. I want to stop, but I don't even know how to stop at this point. A lot of times it's just asking a friend for help, saying, will you help me? And, and if you ask the wrong friend, right, they'll say, hey, everybody's doing it, don't worry about it. You know, and then ask another friend, right, find a Christian friend, a spiritual leader, who will help you to sow towards the spirit instead of towards the flesh. And just ask a friend for help. But Celebrate Recovery is a ministry we have here that I, I love to promote because it's a great ministry that just helps you walk through that step by step. Um, but it doesn't have to be an organized program it, it can just be a christian friend and the holy spirit saying yeah I'm an, i'll pray for you i'll pray for you we, we can we can walk through this together that's one of my most my one of my favorite pictures of discipleship from a, a book called the cure by john lynch is instead of seeing uh, jesus over there and my sin between him and me the gospel helps me to see jesus has crossed that chasm and he's with me and he's now saying all right we'll work on this together Jesus has got his arm around me and saying, we'll work on this sin together. I'll walk with you through this. And part of the way he structured his church is he, he wants us to be a family and to do that together. So I'd love to talk to you more about that if, if you feel stuck. Like we looked at last week, sometimes we're, we're caught. We're caught. We're stuck in a trap. The next thing that he says is we should invest in spiritual tasks. We should invest in spiritual tasks. And I think what he's talking about here is just the mundane things of life, everyday tasks, going through the motions of trying to do what's right, trying to sow spiritual seeds and doing what God wants you to do instead of investing in your own flesh and following your own desire. So look at verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. He's he's challenging us here not to to give up. I love how he says, this is just kind of Christianity 101, doing good, doing good to everyone, especially the household of faith, right? But he says, don't grow weary. Keep doing those things that might seem meaningless, that might seem pointless, that might seem frustrating, that might seem like you're not getting a harvest, right? Like I was talking earlier um, my grandfather-in-law, uh, he planted those trees 65 years ago. We were eating pecans at Christmas from work that he started 65 years ago. He's, he's been dead for almost 20 years, but there's still a harvest that we're reaping because of his investments 65 years ago. And the same thing is even much more true on a spiritual scale. When we invest in people spiritually, we invest in these little tasks we may not see an immediate result from that. But God says, keep going. Keep going. You may feel like it's going nowhere, but he says, 
keep going. He says, don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. The health and wealth gospel takes this concept and says, you will reap next week if you have enough faith. And God nowhere promises that. He says, you will reap. You you might reap next week. You might reap in five years. You might reap not until the new heavens and the new earth. But he promises we will reap. He, He promises there will be a harvest, a return on our investment. And that it's worth it not to give up. I, I was uh, just looking around at different farming and gardening stuff because I'm a frustrated gardener myself, not very good at growing things. And I saw that there's this new, uh, kind of new hipster thing in New York City where they're growing gardens on rooftops. Have you all seen that? It's this urban gardening thing. Um, it's, and it's very cool. I, I long to someday be able to grow things in the ground, right? I think for now, God is keeping me humble and encouraging me to invest purely spiritual things. I hope to be able to grow uh, fruit someday, um, we, we've noticed this. I don't know if you've... How many of y'all have a garden here locally? I know some of you do. Okay. I've noticed that no matter what we grow, we reap an incredible harvest of jalapenos. So if you're looking to get started in gardening and you want like a, a short-term encouragement, plant jalapenos, okay? They grow great here. We do all kinds of salsa and jalapeno jelly. It's really good. Um, but we don't have any luck growing anything else. But I share that to share... Um, there are these things that you do in life where you feel like, I'm not, I'm not seeing progress. It's not happening. It's frustrating. And Paul says, don't give up. Don't give up. If you have kids, I just want to encourage you. Uh, if, uh, if you're a young mom, you ever change diapers, changing diapers can be a spiritual task. That can be a spiritual task. If you have the long-term vision, if you have the long-term vision, and I should say, dads, I need to encourage you even more than the moms sometimes, Changing diapers can be a spiritual task, okay? Changing diapers can be a spiritual task. These, these little mundane daily things of life. Being honest at work, that's a spiritual task. has spiritual import. Being a good friend, has, it's a spiritual task. It matters. Listening to people, being available to people. Instead of feeding your flesh, investing in them because Jesus is invested in you. These are... These are spiritual tasks. And he says they matter. Spending time in prayer. I think that's one of the hardest things as, as a Christian because we don't see the fruit, right? It's like, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm asking God to do something. Yeah, that's, that's a spiritual investment. And he says you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest. Continuing to remain pure, continuing to be about the things that God has called you to be about. Um, he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. So just doing good things, that's what Christians should be about. And we don't always, we don't always see immediate results. Throughout the New Testament, there are these things called household codes where it says uh, annoying commands like husbands should love their wives unconditionally, right? Like that's just these weighty burdens that God, I'm being sarcastic, these weighty burdens that God lays on us and we will reap a harvest from that. Children, honoring your parents. There's reward in that. Parents, not embittering your children. There's reward in that. Wives, respecting your husbands. There's reward in that. Singles, devoting yourself to service, spending yourselves for others. There's reward in that. Employers, honoring uh, those that work for you. And employees, honoring those that you work for. There's, 
reward in these things. So again and again, we have these commands of just living out the little mundane relationships and tasks that God puts before us. Colossians 3.23 says, work heartily as unto the Lord, not for yourselves. There's, there's reward in that. In James, he says that pure religion is this, caring for the widow and the orphan, caring for those that can't care for themselves. Again, we may not see an immediate result. He says, we will reap a harvest in due time. Don't grow weary in doing good. Continue to be about these things, not just um, uh, for the household of faith, but, but for all. He says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. But it should just be standard operating procedure. We should have this outward face of, of doing these tasks, of being about spiritually caring for other people at all times. And we don't, we don't do these things to win God's approval. Again, they're spiritual tasks because we've received an identity from God through the gospel. Because we stand as sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus has done for us. So that transforms our tasks into spiritual investments. When we're hammering away at these tasks, trying to do things to win God's approval, that's what unspiritualizes them, right? That's what makes them fleshly tasks. That's what makes it then in the end about us instead of about God and his grace to us. I want to wrap up with just some final words that Jesus gives us on this whole idea of planting, sowing, and reaping. In John 12, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is not a gauntlet that Jesus throws down. He says, you better do this, or your life's going to be terrible. This is a gift that he gives to us in the gospel. He's giving himself. He's saying, I'm giving myself for you. And when we see that, when we receive that by faith, when we spiritually know God in that way as the one who loves us, our hearts are moved then to want to live this way, to want to give ourselves to others the way that Jesus has given himself for us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for giving us grace, and we pray that you would shape us by it. God, I pray that you would just continue to remake us, make us new, teach us to to keep in step with your spirit instead of uh, relying on our own flesh. God, help us to not lean into the the fleshly uh, externals of religion and help us not to lean into the, to the flesh of following our own desires, but help us to trust your spirit and your goodness to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.